Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Just like that, second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton with Rope across the Outkick Network. And Flying Outkick. along today, slash watch. Flying along. We got Dan Mullen coming up. Yeah, he's going to join us in about 15 minutes. We he's have, always uh, got stories. We have uh, Six and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine here. Snow's on the ground. Chad made it in. How was the drive, by the way? Okay. Arduous. Oh. Slow. Slick. The number of vehicles off to the side of the road in a snowbank. And, uh, but, but made it. I'm telling you right now, that's funny. We were having this conversation with, uh, with our guy Guns. Seven and a half inches, which I measured that at my house. Seven and a half inches of snow is the equivalent Congrats. to three feet it of is. lake effect snow in Buffalo, well, New York. Half an inch could be. Or if you're, if you're up north and you're accustomed to getting large snowfall throughout the year, uh, you have the resources in place and the infrastructure to clear roads quicker. Yes. Okay, and I always have to explain this to all of our friends, our carpetbagger friends that move up, move down south, the elite from the north. That you know they move here for freedom and better taxes and less crime and all of these things that move down Go south. Go on. That then want to bitch to us about their roads being shut down for a day or two or places not being open. My response to all of them, guns included, was very simple. When you moved here from New York City because you were complaining about high prices, Uh, about policies, about high crime, you moved here, mass mandates, vax mandates. When you were complaining about all those things and moved here, it's a simple trade-off for freedom, less crime, for you to be inconvenienced one or two days a year because we don't have as many damn salt trucks and snow plows as up north, because why? Because we don't need them in the south as often. This is a cataclysmic event for Nashville, Tennessee. In 24 hours in Nashville, we got the average annual snowfall over the course of 24 hours. It's usually about six to seven inches. We got seven and a half, eight over the course of one day. That's a lot for Nashville. So deal with it. That's, that's my advice to everyone from up north that wants to try to preach to all the southerners about, oh, everything up to up north is going to be open. Well, yeah, you've got the resources to clear roads quicker. But when you moved here, there's a trade-off. That's the trade-off. I think that's a pretty simple trade-off, Hutton. Yeah. Most would take that, right? That's right. Uh, the, the weather conditions even brought out the, the great boots by Withrow. If you missed that, you can check it out uh, on demand. Uh, Outkick.com slash watch while my, you're there. Hit the my, store. You know, I get a little more worked up, and I can go off on people more because my level of testosterone goes up about four cc's every time I put these boots on. I'm about an inch and a half taller. Injection. With the huge sole <laughs> of these boots. And then everything else just gets a little bit more pumped little boost. up. I'm going to go do some some squats after this uh, show today. Chad's going to be skiing. Just because of that. Yes. I'm going, I'm going to ski on these boots because the sole <laughs> is so thick through downtown Nashville. Chad, uh, you know, one of the things you could also uh, say you you get to Tennessee for, you, you move here for, is the, what's going on in the Centennial Conference. Uh, for those not knowing, like us, it, it's Division Three. Yeah. Um, 
they have a new policy that they're putting into place, so a three-year plan. Threatens the fabric of all of sports. The, we've, yeah. I've long said, Hutton, that the Centennial Conference leads the way in sports. They do. That what the Centennial Conference does is going to be echoed through pro sports, through major college sports, everything else. I didn't know what the hell the Centennial Conference was. I do know what DEI is, and for the most part, it's stupid. Okay? It's dumb. I think anytime you force something on people – it's dumb. When you get away from being a meritocracy, when you get away from hiring the most qualified candidates, the best people for the job, and you start to look specifically at race, gender, whatever it may be, then you can weaken your company. I also think that companies that are diverse tend to have an advantage. When they're hiring diversity within the parameters of qualification, of experience, of yes. work ethic, of all of these things, it can be an advantage for you. Um, the Centennial Conference is adopting some some DEI strategies. Their diversity, something. equity, and inclusion uh, strategic plan yeah. uh, that over the over the three years they're going to roll out in, in three different phases. You know, community outreach, uh, communication outreach, uh, and moving forward, they're they're make they're there will be penalties. They're going to have a report card for member schools uh, that will be graded on how they do th with and, and implement this strategic plan uh, that will uh, feature DEI, but also uh, will exclude others. They're going to actively, they will actively recruit um, athletes for this, for diversity, equity. Well, so inclusion. here's the deal in D3. That's what they're going after. Okay, they, they don't offer athletic which means, scholarships. Which means they're going to look the other way for other qualified Yeah, well, this that, that's that's really dumb. Yeah. Right? If, if you're going to do that, and I don't, I don't see any I, – I, I'm not quick to hit the alarm bells here because I don't see any major conference sport doing this. But even if it right. trickles up to – But it still affects – D3 does not offer athletic scholarships. Let's, let's put that right away. All right, so merit-based scholarships, they already look at diversity, equity, inclusion when you're giving away merit-based scholarships. So that really doesn't change anything with these sports teams at Johns Hopkins, which is a member of, uh, of the, the Centennial Conference. But I do look around and I think, Hutton, if this does trickle up, that's going to be a huge problem for college sports well, they're also, if that happens. But they're doing it with administration. They're doing it with coaches, yeah. uh, other staff. Like they will be graded on this, and, which means qualified candidates will be overlooked because of this strategic it, it, plan. It's dumb. It, it's dumb. And again, if we're looking at diversity, I, I if my favorite college basketball team, all right, I'm a Tennessee grad. If my favorite college basketball team features an all-black lineup, I do not care. That's what I want if those are the five best players on the team because I want to win and I want to see the best players that have worked the hardest or are the most talented get scholarships for my team in order to win. I don't care about diversity when it comes to that, right? Now, if you're going to come in and say, hey, this team is, is too black or this team is too Asian or this team is right. too white, we got to get some other races in there. That's BS. Or, or sexual preference. That's BS. It flies against what we love about sports. Sports can be a great unifier, Hutton. We preach this all the time. And I think people that know us it happens at every we're probably every week. preaching to the choir, right? You get the best players and the most qualified and the most talented, and we all unite and root on those players regardless of race, regardless of sexual orientation, regardless of how they identify. That's what we want in our sports. 
This step by the Centennial Conference, which I, I hope is going to be limited to the Centennial Conference and not grow in terms of sports with that, this is a bad step. It's but a it's, step it's, in the wrong direction. But it's, it's from the corporate end of it, it's already happening, right? And in, that affects the administration, the coaches, the staff here in this conference that are having to abide by this and will be graded on it with this strategic plan, a three-year plan, step-by-step. Outkick.com has the, the latest on that through Amber Harden. Yeah, Amber Harding doing a good job covering that one. But again, just let's keep sports, especially with those that play the game. It is. Let's let's get the best, most talented, hardest working, those that have earned it, those that deserve it. Let's give them an opportunity, regardless of a race quota or of DEI or of anything else. I don't care about that. Give me the best. That's what I want. Give me the best. Well, and 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 fair. A level yes. playing field on that too. Uh, Chad, we've long said a stadium or a concert, football, any, any, any athletic event for the most part, you can go, we could go across the river here in Nashville, go over to Nissan stadium. And I don't care who I'm sitting next to. Where in America are you finding that right now? Sports and a concert. No one, you go to a Drake concert. You're not, you're maybe you know, mouthing the, the lyrics to a song and not even thinking about what they're actually saying about, you know, a woman in the song. No one's really, you just bypass that. It's a concert and it's an athletic event. I'm not uh, praising it. I'm just saying that's where you go to escape. And it's trickling into the places where you go to escape. And we're, we are in the playground of life on this show. I enjoy that. Yes. I don't want the, the BS that's involved with, the, the clickbait crap that is uh, feeding off of and monetizing the the headline crowd that will it, don't even click for the most part. They just read the headlines, and it forms a perception on both sides. Yeah, and I think it's okay to promote uh, empathy and compassion in people. Sure, and an understanding that hey, you know, I've been blessed with certain things and opportunities, There's, and no doubt. you know, may, maybe others didn't get the There's same a opportunities. Everything like that. Yes, and I, and we we celebrate those stories, right? The underdog stories of those that came from nothing, right. and made something of themselves or persevered where others had inherent advantages. We, we celebrate those stories as Americans. Yes. We always have. I hope we always do it. What I don't like to get into, and this is something that Johns Hopkins University posted, I hate the shaming people because of how they were born. Right. And now suddenly Johns Hopkins sends out a, a list of you are guilty of, quote, privilege, whether you know it or not. And they're sending this out to employees and their students that if you're male, white, Christian, middle-aged, able-bodied, uh, middle or home-owning class, or English-speaking, you have privilege and you don't know it. You need to be aware of that privilege. Again, I'm all for teaching empathy, compassion, kindness, these things. But trying to teach something that makes people feel bad because they're born away, they had no control over, is, is wrong also. Why do we always want to match wrong with wrong? That's what's killing me right now. Well, I mean, I would also just uh, just to... Ask the question like, if you're, are if you're if you're having a heart a heart surgeon is going to be uh, perf- having open heart surgery and you're having that done, are you going to go and or care about if he, if that doctor is male, white, Christian, middle aged, able bodied, middle no. or up? no, no, English speaking, no. Are they going to 
Are they going to do their profession and save your life? That's what just, you're, again, just... you're not going to worry about the, the privilege aspect. Uh, it would be a privilege to work with the very best that's performing surgery on you. Again, I just it, watched a, a Rob all, Schneider comedy bit, Hutton. To talking me, it's all just manufactured for clout. Yeah, it, it was, it's uh, praise me for doing this or saying this. Yeah, and, it's, the groupthink it, aspect. Well, it's like I, I'm doing what uh, you know what 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 society right now is not going to cancel me over. I'm doing what I feel like is going to be accepted by the majority of people. So I'm going to go in this direction. I mean, we get emails about diversity and inclusion. Like everybody gets emails yeah, from, from employers about yeah. it. Like it's it's not anything new that goes on. Um, well, the difference is that we're not uh, promoting it. It's like, oh, uh, here's a pat on the back, right, for doing so. I it's saw. Just what you, I mean, you should you should treat everyone in a genuine, kind way. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the right way of doing things. It's not hard to be nice to people. It's really not. Uh, your default, you if your default is just kind and understanding to people and nice, it makes everything better. And it, you, don't, you don't have to celebrate it. Right. Uh, yeah, it's bizarre. I just saw a Rob Schneider bit on the stand-up during the break, Hutton, of he's talking about DEI with an airline. I think it's Delta or United. Yeah. Maybe United. They're talking about you know they're, they're going to be all in on diversity. It was like uh, Southwest inclusion. with the two seats. Well, he said, uh, you know, I've never heard anyone say, boy, I'm tired of all these white pilots landing safely and on go. time when they're flying on a plane. Yeah. Like, I, I want the best pilot to get me from A to B without crashing. <laughs> That's what I want. I don't care what religion, race, how they identify, sexual oh. orientation, any of that. I want the best pilot. Oh, and I want them hiring the best. Yes. I don't want anyone overlooked for this. Just hire the best. That's, that's the meritocracy of, of, Chad, what you're hitting on to, to start this conversation. No doubt. Uh, coming up, Dan Mullen's going to join us. Uh, we have a variety of things we, we talked about getting into uh, Mullen with. We'll start, of course, with Saban and the craziness of at least the shock and awe from this end of things yeah. um, whenever he announced his retirement last week. And then, uh, I mean, there's, there's always the, the chess pieces, the carousel of a coaching search. Mullen's been involved in those from the seats of everyone from DeBoer to Dan Lanning, who chose to not take the job at Alabama. He has seen and done a lot in his career. Yes. And he knows how things go down when it comes to these coaching searches. And he also happens to be rep by Jimmy Sexton, which yes, we'll yes. get into. Dan Mullen next on Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on on this Tuesday. Chad, uh, always great whenever we have the chance to, to catch up with Coach Dan Mullen, ABC ESPN analyst, and uh, always nice enough to join us to talk some ball. Coach, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. 
Oh, it's good to see you guys. Everything's fantastic right now, even though it's getting close to that sad time of year when football ends. So we had a great weekend yeah. of uh, NFL this past weekend and, uh, you know, a couple more weeks. And then it's uh, then we got to wait for that. Uh, what's it called now? The UFL now. I, uh, I got yeah. into it. I started to get into the XFL last spring. So, you know, it's that it's that kind of holds you over football season. That's right. Hey, how stunned were you when the Saban news broke through Chris Lowe that he was retiring? We were live on air. I had to double check the, the, the post like four times because I wasn't believing it. You know, I wasn't stunned because, you know, it was coming at some point, you know, I mean, and, and uh, one of the things I, I thought if Nick had won this year, um, if they had won the national title, he might say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go out on top. Just feels like the right time. And I'm, I'm going to leave on a high note. Uh, but you know, I, I think in, in knowing him uh, a little bit through the years and, and getting to know him uh, as a coach, and I mean, obviously, the utmost respect for him and what he was able to do. He's just looking at where he is, and he understands what it takes, what he needs to do to be successful, and probably just thought to himself, "Hey, the game's changing a little bit. This is just the right time for me to walk away." And I think everybody knew it was coming, and but you didn't know when it was going to come. And, uh, you know, I think he let the season play out. It wasn't a rush decision. He let a couple of days digest in between the last game and making his final, uh, you know, call. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure him and Miss Terry sat down, had a bunch of conversations about it, as you do, because coaching is not just an individual deal. It's a family deal. And uh, they just said, hey, I think this is just going to be the right time and, and made the decision to move on and go to the kind of the next stage of life. But with all that success in Tuscaloosa, Coach, how much of it was Saban? How much of it was the Alabama job? When you look at where that job ranks nationally, among others, what's the ratio there in terms of how someone could possibly replicate that success versus what was simply Nick Saban at that point in his career and his life? You know, I think, one, he's an extremely driven person, very organized. I think he did a great job. Uh, setting the standard of what the football program was. I thought he had unbelievable support, you know, from Malmore first on to Greg Byrne, who's probably the top athletic director in, in, in all of college athletics. And I think you look at the support system of how the whole setup was done to allow him to establish the program top to bottom, the way that he did it, you know, of, of, you know, making sure the players had everything they need, making sure their facilities were second to none, making sure their players got more than anybody else could get, making sure he had unlimited resources in both recruiting and staffing and coaching and facilities and everything. Um, I, I think it was just, it was a combination of everything. Now, uh, obviously you have to give him the credit for, you know, maybe making it all work, right? Because he's the guy that made it work. And, uh, you know, a lot of places you see have success, the sustained the success he had in how he set up the system, the program, the organization was amazing. But I also think Alabama and the administration that was behind him allowed him to set everything up and gave him all the support he needed to get the program where he got it to. Take us behind the scenes through your experience going through this. What, what was Dan Lanning contemplating in that moment over those first few hours with all the reports out there and the fact that he ends up staying at Oregon and with all the reports that he was in Tuscaloosa that evening. Yeah. So I, I don't, maybe he was there. Maybe he wasn't, you don't right. know how far it got with Greg Byrne. You never really, you know, I think great. One thing Greg does keeps it very close to the best of what's actually happening. 
Uh, but for anybody that were the candidates as they come out there, I think you're looking and you're you're weighing where am I at? Where am I at with the program I am? Um, you know, and one of the things you look at, it, it's always tough. I think Dan's, you know, just finishing up. He hasn't been in Oregon very long. So he's just finally kind of established the program. A lot of times it takes a full year. That first year, you're kind of adapting, breaking everybody in, setting up the standard of what you want it to be like, getting everybody on the same page. Because, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's more than just coaching football. When you're, you're the CEO of a major organization of, you know, I mean, you have an academic support staff, you have the administration, you have the university, you have the medical staff, you have the weight staff, you have all of these people, um, you know, the, the PR department, the, the marketing department, everybody, you're trying to make sure everybody's on the same page and get everybody headed in the right direction. And I'm sure Dan Lanning's looking and saying, okay, I've spent some time getting this program where I want it. I just got a great recruiting class in here. We, I like where we're at. I like where the program is. I finally have things set. Do I want to go walk away right now and start over and, you know, and go to put my print on this program? Um, I think, you know, one of those, he's looking and saying, hey, I'm very comfortable where I'm at. I, I like the position I'm in. Uh, I've only been here two years. I think I have the program where I want it. And I want to go enjoy that instead of starting over anew. And um, believe it or not, so many times I think he's probably made that decision and uh, you know, I, I, and everybody, you, you, you love it. And it doesn't always work this way. You get the opportunity, you make that decision, you go to sleep and then wake up the next morning. When you wake up the next morning, you know, whether you've made the right or wrong decision, <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, it, it's one of those, you go to sleep and you're like, well, I, well, I'm trying, you know, like maybe this people reached out, I'm considering this job. I'm looking at this job. Sounds really interesting, boy. You know, I mean, it looks really pretty, you know, always the grass is always greener on the other side. You're looking over and saying, Boy, that looks fantastic over there. You go to sleep and you're like, ah, I'm going to, you know, Dan Lanning probably said, I'm going to stick here at Oregon. You know, he's the only one that can answer the question. The next morning he woke up and he knew at that moment he made the right or wrong decision. And hopefully for him, he made the right decision because he got to sleep on it, rest on it, or whoever was looking at the job, you got to sleep on it, rest on it. And when you wake up the next morning, you're either like, man, I screwed that up. I should have gotten that job. Or you're like relieved, like, thank goodness I didn't take it because I'm really happy with where I'm at. Dan Mullen with us on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow. Kalen DeBoer takes the job. You're an offensive guy. When you watch the offensive DeBoer coach team, what comes to mind? What do you notice? And what ball coach did Alabama land through all this? You know, I, I, I've i met Caleb, Caleb once or twice. I, met him, I got to say hello to him at the championship game. Uh, utmost respect. I think he's done an amazing job. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I love when watching him offensively, I, I think you judge offensive coaches by their adaptability that, you know, they, they look, you, you, here's the hand you're dealt, build your offense around the players that you have. And I think he was able to do that. I think you look at the success they had offensively, uh, the talent he had outside of the receiver's ability to get those guys, the ball, the balance that he had and able to have the patience to go run it with a decent running back, even though that wasn't how they were going to beat you, but they were going to make you nervous enough to go do it. And then he had a quarterback that he used his skill set to do what he does well. And I think that's the sign of a great coach. Uh, I also love, you know, I came up through the small school ranks, um, you know, and had to kind of work my way up. I was a grad assistant for seven years. So uh, Kalen DeVore, you look at his career, you know, when, you know, you start off and you're coaching at Sioux Falls, you know, you're learning, you know, the inside and out of the program. 
And what I mean by that is you, you know how to, to paint the fields because he's probably out there painting the fields. And then after practice, he's someone on the staff's got to do the laundry. Um, you know, you're out there and you're taking buses to games and you're trying to figure it out. You know, you're, you're, you're pregame meal. You might have to go do some cooking or cleaning at the pregame meal as the coach. Uh, you know, I've been in those programs where you have to do it all. And I think it gives you a great respect for the game. I think, you know, we, I think he got to learn a lot as a coach because he probably didn't have a staff of, of, you know, I mean, 20 administrative assistants uh, on staff to help him do things on, on the head coaching side or 20 analysts to go down and break down every part of the film. He had to go do that himself. So I, I think when, you know, a lot of the guys on his staff, when they've come up through the small school ranks, they've learned how to do things hands-on from the beginning. Um, I think it teaches you a lot and it teaches you how to get up to the top of the mountain. You don't just land there. I think when you land there, sometimes if you slip and fall, you have no idea what's going on, how you got to where you are or how to stop and get yourself back to the top. I think, you know, he's had to build himself up from the the bottom up. And I think that's going to help him and serve him really well. Uh, Also the times I met him, I think his attitude is unbelievable. I think you walk into that job. Um, I, you know, when I got hired at Florida, Steve Spurrier had an office in the building and I have a great, I, you know, I have great respect for coach Spurrier. I had a great relationship with coach Spurrier and I think that's critical. And I I think it is, you know, I mean, at at the university of Florida, Steve Spurrier is a larger than life figure. So you better be able to have that relationship. I I see Kellen DeVore the same way. Uh, I think he's going to walk in and instead of sitting there and saying, Hey, I'm intimidated by Nick Saban being down, or I have to live up to Nick Saban's what he's done, uh, I think he's going to sit there and say, hey, you know, Coach Saban, we want you around as much as possible. I want to hear everything you have to say. I want to learn from you. You're one of the great coaches of all time. I want your input. I want it. I'm not going to be intimidated or let my ego run out of control with you being here in the building. I want to learn from you and use you as a resource to help us get better. And I think he's going to be very equipped to be able to do that. And I think he's going to embrace that. I think when you meet him, he's very comfortable with who he is, where he is, how he got there, what his brand of football is that they're going to play now, but he's also going to use Nick Saban as a great resource and not shy away from it. Coach Mullen, I think you're uniquely qualified to answer this question about fit when it comes to Kalen DeBoer. Here's Kalen DeBoer, a guy from Millbank, South Dakota. He's coming from Washington. The furthest South he's coached was as a coordinator at Indiana. You were a guy who bounced around the North, then the West at Utah. You become the offensive coordinator at Florida. Then you're a head coach in the state of Mississippi at Mississippi State. How important is fit when we talk about geography and culture and everything else? And what does it take to overcome any preconceived notion about what fit is geographically, considering that you bucked the trend with the success you had at both Florida and then as a head coach at Mississippi State? I think fit is, I think fit is critical, but I think you have to embrace you, the fit that you're in. And, you know, very fortunate for me, obviously going to the Mississippi state um, was very unique, right? I mean, I guess I, I'm, I'm considered a damn Yankee. I'm a Yankee that came and stayed, right? I didn't, I didn't just come to visit and leave. I stayed, um, but you know what? I, I think you come into it. And one of the great things I learned with, from coaching in the, in the uh, Northeast, to the Midwest. When we headed out, I, I learned a lot going to the University of Utah, where you have a lot of Polynesian guys on the team. You have Hawaiians, Samoans, Tongans, uh, and you understand the different culture. We had a lot of LDS um, kids on the team. And so it, it was a, a, a massive melting pot of different cultures and, and the, the different varieties within the Polynesian culture. 
And you start to learn as a coach, you come in and you need to embrace the culture of where you are more than the culture just completely embrace you. And I think that's one of the things I went in and I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm not from here, but I want to embrace the culture in the state of Mississippi. I want to embrace the, the, the people of Mississippi. I want to learn as much as I can uh, from Mississippi. I mean, one of the great things, one of the first, first people I hired, a guy named Tony Hughes at, at Mississippi State, and Tony's coached his whole life from high school to junior colleges to all three schools in the state of Mississippi. I mean, I would love, I went everywhere recruiting with Tony and we'd get in the car. And I mean, I, it was like a history lesson. I'm like, tell me about, hey, we're, we're, why is this town called Hot Coffee, Mississippi? And then we're driving down this. Tell me the history of this school. Tell me the history of where we are. What's going on here? Take me through the history of what's happened in the Delta, and good and the bad of all of it. And you really try to embrace the culture of where you are. And, um, fortunately for me, I got to spend four years at the University of Florida before becoming a head coach at Mississippi State. So I understood the culture of the Southeastern Conference. Uh, you learn that very, very quickly. Uh, you know, and I think if there's one part, uh, Kalen DeBoer, I think I think he's going to come in and embrace the culture of Alabama, what it is, what the expectations are. He's not going to shy away from it. Uh, I think it's important for him to do that and not come in and say, hey, this is who I am. This is how I do things. You need to change for me. Kalen DeBoer needs to change to the culture of Alabama um, and kind of meld with that and fit with that. Uh, I think that's going to be critical. I think the bigger challenge for him is going to be learning the culture of the Southeastern Conference uh, and what that means and what it stands for and what it represents. Because coaching all around the country, and I know every, everywhere is big, everywhere is important, everywhere it's really, you know. But when they say it just means more, um, I think people look at that with a smirk a lot of places uh, outside of the Southeast. But when you're in the Southeast, in your coaching, your head coach in the Southeastern Conference, you certainly understand what it just means more, what it means and what it's all about. Um, and, uh, I think that's going to be the biggest, biggest shock for him that he's going to have to get used to what week in and week out in the SEC is all about. Dan Mullen with us on Hot Mike. So the, the investment in Mike Norvell for Florida State, is that just the cost of doing business nowadays or is that something different that the Seminoles told us by the money that they gave Norvell to stay? Well, I think it, it looks like it's kind of, I, you know, I mean, it, boy, I, 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 my wife looks at me, she's like, well, you know what, you, you're doing all this TV. I'm like, I enjoy it. She's like, I mean, it looks like there's some pretty good deals. It's yeah. getting better and better to be a coach. It's race season, race season. Um, it, it's crazy, you know? And I said, she's like, wow, look at what's going on. And I said, well, you know, there are people like 10 years before that are, were wondering when I was coaching what was going on. And yeah. now it keeps getting crazier and crazier. I, I think what uh, I think what Florida State wants to do is look and say, hey, we're, we're a national competitor. We're up there on par with anybody. And we think we have a great coach. We love the direction the program's in. We, you know, we're, we're a top 10 national program and we want to pay our coach and, and have that feel of a top 10 program. And, you know, that's kind of the going rate right now. It looks like, in the, you know, for top SEC and some some big 10 coaches as well. And so I think they just wanted to make sure that they were in that category and they they made the head coach. I I think it's it's uh, it goes both ways. I think it's Mike Norvell understanding now and looking at the administration saying, we believe in you. And not only do we believe in you, we're going to show it through the contract that we're going to give you. We're not just going to say we believe in you or tell you how great we are. We're going to show I, I think that 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 does a lot for the psyche 
of Mike Norvell, and I think it helps to, for the psyche of the program. They, you know, right or wrong, they got left out of the playoff this year. I mean, you know, we'll we'll be arguing that forever. Um, however, I think the program's looking at instead of saying, "Hey, well, there's this issue, that issue." Hey, we we you know we have to we're we're, we're heading on probation right now, even with you know some. You know, it seems to me the NCAA almost picks and chooses, right? Yes. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they're the only one that a booster met about NIL about coming to your school, right? right. In all of college football. Um, the, uh, But it seems they pick and choose. But beyond that, they still supported them. They said, hey, well, you're our guy. We're 100% beyond you no matter what moving forward. And we're going to show it to you within the contract that we're going to give you. I think that says a lot. And I think that'll help Mike Norvell. And I think it'll help the program long-term moving forward. Yeah, and I mean... Uh- and again, just spitballing because we don't know exactly what he's thinking. But to me, perception would be 30,000-foot view. He believes in whatever they're doing uh, through the, the lawsuit and everything else that they're going to win. Like, I don't know why you would stay. When, he could make that money elsewhere if Florida State's paying that, is my point. And he's choosing yeah. to stay there long term. He, he chose and you know, he chose them. They chose him. And I think it's that, that mutual bond that shows um, – we want this to work, you know, um, that it, it, it's not a one-way deal. It's not Mike Norvell selling the university. It's not the university panicking, you know, and saying, hey, we're, we're going to overpay a guy. It's it's the administration, the athletic director, and the president and the board looking at, at Mike Norvell saying, you're our guy. No matter what the situation is, we believe you're the guy for the future. And Mike Norvell believing, hey, I think there is a great future here at this school. So if you're Washington and you've got Ryan Grubb, uh, who was the architect with Kalen DeBoer of that great offense, he's wanting the job. He's wanting to stay on and be the head coach. Ryan Grubb was offered the Alabama gig as offensive coordinator a year ago, stayed at Washington to run it back with those guys. I would feel compelled to want to stick with the guy who was on the staff that got Washington to a national championship game and led that dynamic offense. They didn't go that route. What did you make of that, Coach Mullen? And what do you think about Jed Fish as the guy in Washington? Well, you know, I, I'll give you this part on one on Jed. Let's start with Jed Fish. I think one, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't have been shocked if Jed Fish was the guy at Alabama, um, if he was the guy that was on Greg Burns' radar. I, I have no idea whether he was, whether he got a call, whether he was a down the list guy for him or what it was. I think he's done an amazing job uh, in his three years of what he's done. Uh, at Arizona of building a program, building a foundation and being able to do it, not just with one star player, you know, it's not like, Hey, I got a quarterback and got hot. Um, You know, he had some transitions. He had some injuries. He had some different things happen and they were able to win different ways and and they were able to be very successful. So I think it's a great hire for Washington. Uh, I think it's tough for Arizona. It just shows the pecking order of, of where college football is. And Jed fish now looking and saying, Hey, you know what? Um, I want to get into the Big Ten, and and it's a it's a big move. Washington is one of the premier jobs on the West Coast, and and so you could see him making that move. I, I think on the other part of it with with Ryan Grubb, I think college football's changed uh, from a year to year team uh, almost with the transfer portal and so much going on with NIL and almost the free agency of not complete free agency, but a lot of it. Where I think four or five years ago, I think Brian Grubb might have gotten the job at Washington. I think they would have looked and said, hey, the foundation is built. Um, we're in great shape. I think 
in today's world, they're going to look and say, hey, there's a bunch of guys that are graduating, leaving to go on to the NFL to the next level. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of guys hitting the transfer portal now that the head coach is leaving. And it's not just this guy is, hey, it's same old business. Next year, we're going to be a new team. We're going to have a lot of new players, new transfers, a lot of guys, a lot of different moving parts. So I think that kind of the promote from within to keep what we have going, going kind of changes because next year's team is going to be 50% new. So they didn't know what we had going last year. And so they don't know the foundation that's been built. So I think it's their administration looking and saying, hey, Ryan did a great job. We really like you. We like where the program was. Uh, but, you know, right now we're going to start from scratch. And in today's world, you can start from scratch and basically a new coach if not one, certainly in your second year, it is your team now. You know, it used to be, hey, you get a couple of years, you go build it, get some recruiting classes in, let's see, get your players in. Now with the transfer portal, it's one to two years, and it's your, you know, if not, Dion showed in year one, it's his team, it's a complete rollover of a roster. And so uh, I think they look at it that way and say, hey, we're going to go with a, a more established candidate right here, um, a guy that's shown that he can do it, and we're going to expect more right away in year one or year two. Um, even though we have so much that we were so great, but we have so much talent departing and there's going to be such a wide range of changes. We're going to start in it. Could be a similar decision facing Michigan very soon. Jim Harbaugh is already meeting with the chargers. He may be making the jump back to the NFL. If you're Ward Manuel, the athletic director there at Michigan, and you look at what Sharon Moore did as an interim coach versus like you talked about coach going out and putting that Michigan logo and that Michigan job out there for everyone and doing a national search, how would you evaluate that and what direction they should go next, given everything going on within that program? I, I think the one difference was the Jim Harbaugh suspension. I think Ward Manuel got the opportunity to see Sharon Moore as the acting head coach, not just as a guy that's in the program. You know, there there was some he had to take on some responsibilities of what the head coach role will be. Now, he didn't do it for the entire week. You know, there was a, uh, some of the times Jim Harbaugh was in the office. There was times he wasn't allowed around. So there's been some some foundation of, of what he can do. Now, obviously, uh, as a head coach at, at a major program like Michigan, uh, there's an awful lot more that comes to the job than Moore managing the team through game week. Um, you know, uh, there's putting the roster together, putting the staff together, managing the staff, running the entire organization from top to bottom. Uh, you know, you have the boosters, the alumni, the events being basically the face of the university. Uh, there's so much of more of that that comes into play that they'd have to decide, is he ready to handle or, or do we go do a nationwide search to find somebody that is? But I think they've probably seen a little bit more of him having to be in the role of the head coach than what Washington would have saw with Ryan Grubb. And I think he handled it very well. I think he did a fantastic job um, of doing so. So I think there is the potential of more stability if they were to promote him because they probably have a little better knowledge base around it. I think, though, obviously, the list of candidates to be the head coach at the University of Michigan will not be a short list. I mean, that that there'll be a long list of potential candidates if they want them. They, you know, it's it's uh, that's a place where people want to go coach, and so uh, they're going to have a great pick of coaches uh, of who they want to go run and be a part of that program. So that'll be really interesting to see where he's at. And I'm sure that decision has been made. I'm sure they've already done some research, some studying, uh, some background of what direction they want to go because they're going to want to move quickly on it. And I'm, I'm sure the athletic department. 
and whoever they use, whoever the de final decision makers are, uh, whether it's one or whether there's two or three people that are going to be involved in that decision, have kind of have their list and thoughts together and say, hey, uh, it's either going to be Sharon Moore very quickly or here's the two or three people we're going to go after hard and we feel pretty comfortable that we're going to be able to get one, you know, get our first or second choice on that other list. Coach Mullen, uh, Chad and I were having this discussion last week and I, I hope you'll give us the behind the scenes look at this because are you, I know you were repped by Jimmy Sexton. I don't know if you still are with CAA, but yeah. what is this time of year like? What is it about Jimmy where he gets all of these coaches in college football and what is the networking like with within the agency to where you kind of know if your name's going to be brought up and how it's going to go, even if you hear other guys that are being mentioned for a job? Well, I think Jimmy's pretty straightforward with everybody. Um, and I think Jimmy, I think one of the things the athletic directors, they know the connection wise. I, I think there's one a lot that goes into it, which is uh, Jimmy's going to be able to sit there and the athletic director is going to say, hey, they, we really feel here's some traits of what we're looking for. This, this is what I think I want our coach to be. And then Jimmy's going to, you know, he represents a lot of guys. He yeah. says, okay, well, that kind of describes this guy, you know, like, hey, we, we really would lean to more of an offensive coach. Hey, we want a, a, a we want a young up and coming guy, or we want a more established head coach. Um, you know, I, I think that Jimmy has that list and the athletic director are going to be able to call him and say, this is kind of, instead of Jimmy telling them, Hey, here's my 15 guys. He's going to say, what are you looking for? What, you know, where do you feel this search goes? Who do you feel fits your program the best? What are their traits? What are these characteristics? This is who I have uh, that I represent. And this is who I think would be interested in the job, you know? And I mean, cause trust me, there, there there's a lot of times when, when you were coach, if you were coaching places, I would get calls from Jimmy. Uh, you'll get a call during the season. He'd say, Hey, there's, you know, there's an opportunity. This might come open. Is that something that might interest you after the season? And I mean, that's like, a, a, honestly, it's a 10 second conversation because most coaches aren't really thinking about it all that much uh, in season. And cause you're really worried about the next one. And, and as far, cause I've gotten that call from Jimmy several times and it'd be like, Nope, you know, I'm definitely not. And say, Hey, if that job were open, if something does happen, boy, that's something interesting. I'm, I don't even want to think about it right now, but that's something after the season I would consider. Well, I think Jimmy has those conversations behind the scenes with people so people know who their potential list of candidates. It doesn't mean it's a lockdown deal, but they might know and say, hey, we have five guys that would be kind of fit our profile that would definitely be interested in this job. You would think one of one of those five would probably – we, you know, even after the season, you might say, no, nah, I change. I'm totally, I have no interest in it. But one of those five probably would have interest and go take it. This is fascinating. And Chad, then, then the, the well, team that he leaves, that program is then going yeah, through Yeah, the, the ultimate yeah. puppeteer sort of, of everything awesome. with all the contacts and all the clients that he has. I'm curious it about this. It is crazy because I always, I'll, I'll share that. Like I was, like at Mississippi State, you'd get calls sometimes. And a lot of people wonder, boy, you're still at Mississippi State. And a lot of times I wasn't interested in leaving. I was very happy. Uh and the funny part is, I always say this, though. The funny one is you might get the call or, you know, I'll be like, Jimmy, you can talk to my wife or one of those deals. You got to sell her anyway. They gotta, they'd have to sell her in the first place. But I, the funny one is that I don't think it goes beyond that. I never did beyond me because I would say, hey, I have no interest in talking to anybody until the season's over. 
And so the interesting one, like you take a Jim Harbaugh, well, he wasn't going to talk to anybody until after the national championship game. So you could say, boy, is the interest in the NFL? Is he doing this? Is he doing that? I don't, I, you know, if that was me, I would say, Hey, the, the day after the game at noon, the day after the game, the day after the, the season ends after the last game, you know, or the regular season, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to consider anything. Call me the day after the last, the end of the season. Now, Jimmy might call earlier and say, Hey, these, hey, there's a couple jobs coming open. We want to talk to you about. Would you be interested in this, this, this? I say, hey, I might talk to, I, maybe, but I'll. These are the two. If they want to talk to me, I'll talk to them. But I'm not talking to anybody until after the season ends. So that's what's interesting with Michigan because that season really just ended for Jim Harbaugh. But I, I think he does do a lot behind the scenes early, and then once your whatever your season's over as the coach, he gets on the phone and he's like, hey. You had your 24 or 48 hours, whatever it is for everybody to decompress. Here's the list. And and and, and, and here he'll he'll call you with like your itinerary. Here's who's calling at this time. You'd have your conversations. Love the behind the scenes stuff. We're going down the perfect lane for this. So I want to ask you about coaches seemingly that go in reverse to get ahead. Kane Womack, head coach at South Alabama, is now going to take the defensive coordinator mm. job at Alabama. Uh, Sean Lewis a year ago leaves Kent State as offensive coordinator, or sorry, as head coach to be offensive coordinator for Deion Sanders, parlays that into being head coach at San Diego State. What do you think about that plan and that move for some young coaches trying to get to the job they ultimately want? It's interesting. I I don't know. I think there's so many ways to do it. I think Kane showed that he can win, Um, and he's been successful at South Alabama, had a couple of good years. Um, and I, you know, for him, I just wonder if he thinks, Hey, it hasn't parlayed into something great right now. Being the coordinator, being a defensive coordinator for an offensive coach and a new staff and a new era at Alabama. Well, Hey, it's worked for a lot of coordinators. There have gone on to some pretty big jobs and some big success. And he can look and say, Hey, on my resume right now, I've won as a head coach and here I am leading a defense in the premier program in college football. Does that open better doors for him possibly? Um, so I think there's opportunities for that both ways. Uh, you know, what you, you'll, you'll know to the answer to that question in a couple of years, um, you know, he, he, uh, of, of whether he parlayed it to make it work the right way, uh, or, or not. And I think it, it's hard. I think, I think the tricky one, it's hard to go backwards sometimes that way, you know, of, of saying, hey, you're used to being the head coach and running the program and you you know how you run the program and you're comfortable doing it that way uh, to going back and, and having to have somebody else run the program. And, um, you know, and you, you're now just back to the assistant coach and they hand you instead of you making the schedule and you making decisions of everything going on, someone hands you all make those decisions. It just hands you to it. And you're just kind of uh, you have to go be a loyal soldier and take the marching orders. Coach, uh, just briefly on the way out here, and, and Coach Dan Mullen with us here on Hot Mike with Huddy Withrow on Outkick. Uh, when's the last time you spoke with Dak? And what is what is holding back from kicking down that playoff door with he and the Cowboys? Boy, when I, it was like a couple weeks ago. I don't. I usually talk to guys in the offseason because I know they're preparing so much. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I usually in season – uh, I'm kind of calling when things aren't going well. So I think they had a tough game a couple weeks ago. And so I, I think that was the last time I reach out. Usually when things, you know, I mean, listen, I, 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 I'm, there's enough people patting him on the back. He, he knows I love him. 
right? So he, yeah. he, he, doesn't, he doesn't need the pat on the back from me. Um, it's when he's getting the kick in the rear end and everybody's down. That's when I'm usually there to just, that's when I kind of try to reach out to guys, to try to, to pick them up a little bit and, um, and pump them up more than that. So, um, you know, I kind of, I haven't talked to him since the game. Cause I want to, that's, that's got to sit in for a couple hours and, you know, um, but I'm sure I'll talk to him sometime soon, but so it's been a, a couple weeks that way. I, I look at them and, and it's tricky. I think one watching it and, you know, the hard part, I, I root for my players. So, you know, I mean, I kind of watch the games and I root for my guys that are playing or coaching or uh, all of that stuff uh, and former people in the game. So uh, it's hard for me. I'm not like a big fan of one team in particular, but my, my son's obviously a huge Cowboys fan. So that was tough. So there's some commitment and you see it and watching the game, you know, um, I think one, there's possibly a little mental block there for them right? That what's, you know, Hey, we've gotten back to the stage. Fantastic. Uh Oh, when something goes wrong, it's kind of that, well, here it goes again, that, that, that here we go again. Attitude is a tough one and a tough mindset to break. And you can talk yourself into like, Hey, that, that we don't have that. We don't have this, but you know what? It's, it's still in the deep subconscious when the game's going on of here we go again. So that could be one Two, it's kind of to me, it's the same recipe. You know, I start watching the games and, you know, most people defer, except that when it's in the playoffs against the Cowboys, they take the ball, they go on an eight minute drive to start the game. And that puts the here it go again doubts in the mind that, you know, it, it, it's they just ran the ball down the field, controlled the clock, controlled the tempo. They're setting what the, the mindset of how the game's going to be played. Cowboys have been a high flying offense. And when I watch them this year, they were either things were when they were good, they're really good. When they were bad, they were kind of really bad. And it wasn't that middle ground a lot. And, you know, they probably blew teams out more than anybody in the NFL this year, but they also, their losses were some bad losses. And uh, it kind of is that same story. You watch that game and you watched how it was going. And it was like, where's it, it's the recipe to beat them. They're going to play solid defense, force you to make a mistake, and then they're going to completely control every aspect of the tempo of the game. And that's what the Packers were able to do. And when you've watched them losing the playoffs, that's kind of been the answer of how to beat the Cowboys. And they haven't fixed that problem yet. They fixed things, a lot of other things, but they haven't fixed the how they lose in the playoffs issue. And they seem to be, you know, seem to keep be losing the same way every single year. Coach Dan Mullen has been our guest. Uh, always a great convo whenever you're able to join us, Coach. We really appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Uh, we we said this last time. Get back to, into coaching. We're, we're right behind you on this, but we really enjoy what everybody's here screen. Time to talk ball and be like, oh, free. Hey. I'd be I'd be giving I'd be no giving stress. you coach talk. No, well, I wouldn't be giving you the inside track. I'd be giving no you stress coach either. Talk. No stress. If you got a call set up with Jimmy Sexton tomorrow at noon, we wouldn't blame you. Is what we're saying. <laughs> that, that, that annual call. So maybe that'll happen. Thank you so much, uh, Coach. Absolutely. You guys have a great day. Yeah, you too. There's uh, there's Dan Mullen. Uh, great to, to wrap up the show with him there. Uh, he's uh, so good. Insightful. And so many connections throughout you know, his, his career, player and coach, and agent for that matter. Well, good inner workings there too of the agent-coach relationship is there navigating all the open jobs and trying to get with their guys the season's going on yes. about what would interest them. Chad? We're back at it tomorrow. We are. Right here, 4 o'clock Eastern. You can join us for Hot Bike with Hunter Withrow across the Outkick Network.